morning we share in the Easter story. It's, it is, or at least it should be, the one story in all of Scripture that we all know, right? I hope and suspect there is not a single one of you here who does not in some way or another or has not at one point or another read this story from Easter Sunday morning. This is a story we know. It's a story we love. And this is a story, it's the story upon which all the other stories of our faith are built. In this story, we come to know the thing about God, the most important, most amazing thing about God, which is when we see death and when all we know is coming to an end and may be over, God is a God who brings life. God resurrects life from the dead, hope from despair, light from the darkness, and joy from the pain. When Jesus, in his ministry, made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the broken to be healed, well, that was just a foretaste of what is happening here. What happens now? What happens on Easter Sunday. And so this morning we approach this story again to be reaffirmed in its promises. We read familiar words. We remember the story about the women finding out first. We chuckle about Peter running slow. Our interest is piqued about that disciple who just immediate believe, immediately believes. And we're left to notice and ponder and wonder and anticipate how God will bring resurrection again to us and for us in our lives. This morning, Jesus is resurrected for us, but this resurrection is also a representation of Jesus being resurrected in and through us ever still, ever again. And so we consider and we look to the ways that the Lord will be resurrected and bring life to us as we read these familiar words from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went to the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture 
that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I, don't, I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most Sundays, preachers consider the text and look for other stories that illustrate a contemporary way or a contextualized way in which we can grasp what is going on in the biblical story. We tell a story, we draw a parallel, we develop a metaphor to consider alongside the Scripture so that somehow it is illuminated in a fresh way. But the thing about Easter is, Jesus' resurrection is the one story that has no fitting illustration, allegory, metaphor, or parallel. It's the one story upon which our faith is built, around which time is marked, around which we account for most of our lives. It is the story. So to try to draw a parallel is, well, it's silly. Oh, there's plenty to say about this story. There are many ways to go with it. And this morning I want to consider the reactions of the faithful on that Easter Sunday morning and discern how we can embrace the resurrection story today by learning from them Maybe if we see how they embraced this story, we can embrace it anew for ourselves also. Because I believe that if resurrection happened on Easter and God is the God we say that that God is, then resurrection happens again with us and through us and around us. Our task is to embrace God's work of resurrection as it happens all the time, not just this one Sunday of the year. Now you know the story. I think I'm probably on my third telling of it this morning already. The women got up to take care of Jesus' body. 
He died on Friday and there wasn't enough time to appropriately prepare his body for its eternal rest. But once Mary Magdalene looks into the tomb and sees that the body is gone, she runs to tell Peter and that beloved disciple. Peter is slower than the other one. So he gets beat to the grave by that beloved disciple. But when Peter gets there, he goes in, the disciple follows him, and the disciple immediately believes. John says they don't quite understand everything that's happening with the resurrection yet, but the disciple who got there first paused, paid attention, followed Peter in, and believes. Why did he believe right away? Is there something about the way that those garments were rolled and folded that illuminated his faith? Possibly. Is Peter blinded by the fact that just a couple days ago he said he wouldn't deny and then did deny? Is he clouded by guilt and so he misses it? I don't know, but the disciple believes. He reaches first, he pauses. He takes in what has happened and he believes. And I think something we can learn from him is sometimes we don't fully understand everything, but we understand enough to believe in the power of God. And so we put a step forward in faith and allow the understanding to catch up and come alongside later. That is the nature of faith. It's certainly what's happening I think, with this disciple today. Now, Peter is easy to pick on, or at least I like to pick on him. I don't know if that's fair to Peter or not, but, you know, he was too slow to get to the tomb. Thursday night, he stood out saying, I'll never deny you. And then he did before even the sun rose on Friday. He demanded, don't, don't wash me. Or wash all of me. But we know Jesus just washed his feet. Peter, slow to the grave, slow to embrace, slow to believe. When he gets to the tomb, he just walks right in. Didn't pause or anything. And then goes home when he's done. Wondering what had happened. What does it mean? I think Peter is a speak first, figure it out later kind of guy. Jump in now and consider understanding some other time. Say what you will. Say what you have to say in the moment, which is just fine. Just get ready to apologize later. And then learn from the mistake, which Peter definitely does. Peter does this. It's amazing how the Peter of the Gospels, who's always stepping up and stepping out and speaking without thinking, or thinking he's speaking the right thing when it's exactly the wrong thing, becomes in just a few chapters, when you turn over to Acts, the disciple who is proclaiming Jesus' resurrection, who is warding off religious authorities, and is the foundation upon which Jesus builds his church. If Peter can do all that, my goodness, we should take comfort in Peter. Because 
Because this sanctuary is full of people and not all of us are the think first, speak later type. There are many of us who are the speak first, think later type. And for us, there is Peter. Peter, for whom God is still working in. Peter, for whom we see one who learns from his mistakes. Peter, for whom there is good news and love and forgiveness and grace and amazing things. And if we are Peter, there is good news for us. Jesus will reveal himself to us. And then there's the women. In the tradition of a good three, uh, five-paragraph essay that we were all taught in high school, we leave the most important point for last. And this morning, the women are the most important point. A couple quotes made the rounds on social media this week, at least in my circles. One was from a theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, who said, Without women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection. I think it's an apt description. I like it. And it certainly does emphasize the importance of women in Jesus' ministry. The other one's a little bit more edgy, but I think draws a chuckle. It says, if you want to make your Easter sunrise service a little more biblical, hold it at sunrise and only invite the women. Again, making a point... But the point I want to make is underscoring the importance of the women in this story. So we turn to Mary Magdalene and the women who, in my estimation, embody and experience four very important things that we all learn from on Easter Sunday. First of all, they approached the darkness of the tomb when no one else was going to. It was early in the morning. They had waited as long as the law dictated that they had to. And the only thing that's recorded in one of the Gospels about their approaching the tomb was how were they going to move the stone? Yet they get there and they find God had done it for them. They got up early to approach the tomb that no one else would. Peter was at home. The disciples were at home. Sometimes we as disciples are called to approach things that no one else wants to. The second thing they do is they are ready to work, even do the dirty work. For 36 hours they had sat knowing that Jesus' body was not prepared the way it needed to be because he died in a hurry at the end of Friday. So they get up and they go and they're willing to work and their ability to, under, to, to understand the resurrection before others very well might be tied to their ability, their willingness to get in and do the work that no one else would. Their willingness to approach the tomb, their willingness to do what needed to be, do, needed to be done helped them face the future better and more quickly because they understood what was going on as they were involved with it, even with physically just their hands. The third thing is just as important. They were genuine and honest and authentic in their approach to this experience. 
Mary sees and runs to get Peter. And then she's crying outside the tomb when she sees those angels and she thinks it's the gardener speaking to her. For some reason, that line from the uh, movie A League of Their Own popped in my head as I was writing this sermon. There's no crying in baseball. But there is crying at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. And because she's authentically open, expressing what she's feeling, she's able to experience God speaking to her. The lesson can be the same for us. If we want to experience the fullness of resurrection and the true power of God, we can't pretend to be something we're not. We must be authentic and open. And then God can work on us and in us and through us. And then finally, as soon as she realized it was Jesus He says to her, go and tell my brothers. And so she speaks about it. She tells. The women, as soon as they have their experience with Jesus, they tell their friends. And as we know, it's not long before the disciples and this message of resurrection and salvation has reached beyond the circle of twelve to crowds in Jerusalem And eventually to Jerusalem and to Judea and to the ends of the earth. We know the power of Jesus today. Because they told. And and when we know the power of Jesus. We can't help but talk about it. That can be a test for you and for me. If we're talking about our faith, it's because something real is going on there and God is at work. And when we're not talking about our faith, maybe it's time for us to wonder if something real needs to happen there and we need to more closely tune ourselves to what God might be doing. They did the dirty work. They were authentic. They approached the darkness that no one else would. And when they were told, they were able to tell. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes these words. Whatever gains I had, I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ and righteousness from God based on that faith. He then says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've already attained it. But I reach towards the goal. I press on to make that my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. 
two phrases there. I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to attain it and make it my own. This is Paul's prayer in the Philippians, in the, the letter to the Philippians. It's his great desire, and I hope it's our great desire too. I hope it's our great desire that as we face our faith and as we face our future, we also seek to face an experience of our faith in a more deep and meaningful way. And the way to do that is to see ourselves as disciples in this gospel story and to see the way that they embrace the power of the resurrection so that we too in our lives, might become the parallel to this story. Maybe we're like the disciple Jesus loved, who stepped forward in faith, believed and understood later. Maybe we're like Peter, who speaks now, thinks later, and embraces forgiveness as a result. But all of us can do like those women did, who went where others wouldn't, who did the work even if it was dirty, who faced life and faith with authenticity, even if it meant bringing crying to baseball. And when they knew something, they told about it. They spoke from what they knew. I think if we do these four things, we have the chance to develop a meaningful faith. And I have no doubt that the God who resurrected Jesus to be with us will bring us a clear understanding of His work in our lives for this day and for each day that lies in the future. Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday morning was about salvation, forgiveness, repentance, and our life with God. But that life doesn't begin sometime long after this life is over. That life begins now. Our faith for the future is a future that begins today. As we face what God brings us today, May we have the faith to believe. May we have a strength and courage to practice faith like these women did as they approached the empty tomb. And may we, by following in their footsteps, prepare ourselves to face the future well and anew, a future that God promises to meet us in. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy and loving God, this morning we face the future with you. A future that is alive and a future that is eternal because of the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. And Lord, we know that 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 future is eternal because of this resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Lord, help us to embrace it. Help us to embody the practices of these women who embraced it well and fully. And Lord, may we in our faithfulness be able to share with others so that they might experience your love and your grace and your faith as well. Loving God, thank you for hearing this prayer. And thank you for the ways you've spoken to us already today. It is in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen.